Hopefully you all have the outline, emphasis four, New Testament leadership roles, titles, models, qualifications, and development. And hopefully they're putting them up there. Leadership is the fourth one there. And uh, hopefully I won't, uh, on the word of God, when we did this at Wright State, we spent one entire uh, uh, school year of 32 weeks on that one. Hopefully we won't do that this time. Uh, I'm trying to make this a little shorter. So last week, uh, or two weeks ago, we looked at the uh, idea of the, the concept of a priest. And uh, if, you're, you, if you're not familiar with this, you really need to be. One of the most important things in becoming a Christian is the doctrine. Doctrine just means the teaching, the idea, the, the uh, biblical truth of the priesthood of all believers. So one of the most important aspects of being a Christian is that Jesus Christ is our great high priest who has made propitiation for our sins and therefore granted us access into the very presence of God. Uh, If it wasn't for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and we tried to draw near to the presence of God, we would actually die. Uh, which would not be a desired result. So uh, uh, it, it's because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can have worship meetings. And God doesn't kill us. And in fact, he invites us in. In some ways, um, uh, a Bible teacher that John Gray reminds me of some, uh, named Bob Mumford, um, once when I was hearing him teaching on, on, this, on the whole thing of the curtain and uh, how the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, he suggested that it was not so much just so we could have entrance, but it was really to let God out to us, and, uh, in a sense. And uh, uh, that's a little bit uh, interesting to think about. But the truth of the matter is, uh, for us to be invited into the Holy of Holies is an amazing thing. Uh, Because if you've made any step or two of progress toward Christ, the first thing you begin to be aware of is the depth of our own sin. The the reason that the Beatitudes start in Matthew 5, 3 with the very first Beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, is because the first necessary step to make any progress in terms of knowing God is to begin to realize the depth of our depravity. And uh, we are kind of complacent about God. We are smug. We are self-righteous. We really don't get it in terms of how holy he is and how holy we are not. But uh, the, the contrast is so awesome that it's beyond anything that, that we as finite beings can actually even totally understand. You will, the rest of your life, grow in terms of the depth of your knowledge Uh, of how sinful we are and and how holy God is and how tremendous that gap is. Uh, And that gap was so tremendous that God's son had to die to bridge that gap. A mere human being could not bridge that gap. 
Nor could, uh, you know, only, only a uh, person who was both 100% God and 100% man could, could be the person to bridge that gap. So uh, the fact is that when we are called into Christ, we're called to become priests. And that's an amazing calling. In the Old Testament, if you would, uh, as you read uh, the Pentateuch, especially Leviticus and so forth, try to think about sometimes just all the preparations that had to go into Aaron and then the subsequent high priests through the generations being able to come before the Lord. And the reason there's, there's so much detail is because it's no light thing. And what's kind of amazing is that we, uh, you know, we come to church late. We come to church uh, not having necessarily spent time with God on Saturday night or Sunday morning. We come to church half asleep or whatever. And uh, the truth is, uh, what we're doing on Sunday morning is the most amazing thing that happens in the whole universe ever. You know, uh, I was old enough to remember... Neil Armstrong stepping on the moon and saying one small step for man, uh, one giant leap for mankind. What we're doing on Sunday morning is so much bigger than that. It's so, so much bigger than, than discovering a new continent, than discovering a new planet, planet in, you know, if you're for the astronomers and so forth. Um, it's, it's so amazing that I really don't have the skill uh, to really tell us about it. So study some of the things that priests do. Priests study the law of the Lord. One of my favorite life verses is Ezra 7.10 that says, Ezra, uh, who is a priest, of course, had set his heart, set his heart. Think about that phrase. In other words, there was nothing going to deter him from this. No inter phone calls, no interruptions, no bouts with the flu, no uh, having too much homework, uh, make, maybe making a mistake and scheduling too many credit hours so that you didn't leave any time left over for studying God's Word. Or, there, there was nothing he was going to let come between him and and in studying the law of the Lord. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. If we could just do that with our lives, that would be a pretty amazing step, right? And to practice it, I've always had a little problem between that studying part and the practicing it, <laughs> right? Sometimes my follow-through is not so good. And to teach his commandments in Israel. You know, in Acts 1.1, it says, he says that uh, Luke is writing to his friend Theophilus, which we don't know, that of course means friend of God. We don't know if that was an actual person or just sort of a representative title. Uh, but in any case, he, it, he starts by saying that all Jesus began to do and to teach. So, one of the aspects of being a priest 
is, and ask yourself, who have you been teaching about the things of the Lord? Who are you teaching the full counsel of God to? And have you made a sufficient study of God's word to be able to do that? Think about it like when you share things of the God to, to uh, your friend, to someone you work with, to someone in your neighborhood, to your, you know, to whoever God opens doors for you, uh, are, you know, like is, is everything we say, how reliable is it? Does it come out of a fullness of study? Are we able to say, like Paul said, Timothy, the things you've heard and learned and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will dwell with you. So as priests, we don't, you know, like we worship, we intercede. If you uh, have never studied the difference between three types of prayer, intercessory prayer, uh, supplications and, or petitions that should be accompanied with thanksgiving and spiritual warfare, make sure you do study those three differences. And make sure all three of those kinds of prayer are part of your prayer life. If you can't give a biblical definition of those three, then how can you pray those ways? So the priesthood of all believers, you know, priests studied, trained, and got equipped. It's, in other words, it's a high calling. You know, people uh, go to school for an extra 12 years beyond high school to become a medical doctor. You're called to be something much higher that takes much more training, study, and education. You're called to be a priest of the Most High God. And that means you. You know, I uh, don't want to name names, but I kind of look around and go, you. <laughs> You, you're, you're called to be a priest. And that's a calling that, that you have to be equipped for, for uh, as a way of life. Then we, uh, that was two weeks ago. Then last week we got into um, the whole idea of overseers or elders, uh, sometimes called bishops or presbyters. And the word episkopos, which we get bishop from, and the word presbyteros, which we get presbyterian from, or presbyter, uh, are normally the words that we translate as overseer or elder. And they're usually used interchangeably. Um, I think I'm going to take a minute to read the qualifications. But I, before I do, I want you to jump over, because I don't want to forget this, uh, well, let's read the qualifications first because that'll take me right to what I want to say, and I probably won't forget it. So let's look at the qualifications. Uh, it's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, episcopos, it's a fine work he desires to do. I'm going to try to read through this without commenting too much, but I'm going to have to comment a little bit as we go. Uh, temptation. I can stand up to anything but temptation. You know, you sometimes deal with people who have very wrong motivations for, for wanting to be in leadership. And 
there's a, there's a law that I call um, the law of reading the reverse negative. Sometimes things are there because uh, we need to be reminded of that truth because we tend to encounter the opposite. So Paul's actually making that statement partly because this. Many times people want a position of leadership or responsibility for very wrong motives. You know, I actually run into uh, situations where people say, well, if I don't get to be a leader, then I don't want to be a part. And it's like, wow, that, that's a problem. So Paul is reminding us that in general, that the, the desire to be a leader is actually a very fine thing to desire to do. In fact, you'd have to be kind of like I always say, "What's the matter with you? Are you dead? are you stupid?" No, like, like the call to be a leader is actually just the call to pay a higher price than everyone else pays. That's what it really is. It's a call to sacrifice. It's a call to die. It's a call to no longer be your own. To be a man of God means you don't, or a woman of God, means uh, your opinion doesn't matter much anymore. Nor is God all that concerned about what you want. It's amazing. We're very oriented in our culture about what we want. In fact, the entire advertising industry is, is designed to make you want more things. Right? And God doesn't care what you want. He wants you to want what he wants. <laughs> and an overseer is just someone who's... Uh, God has killed a little more thoroughly than he's killed the rest of us so that we want what he wants more than we want. <laughs> so an overseer must be above reports, the husband of one wife, although on a very rare occasion we have made a person an elder who had no wives and wasn't married yet, but seldom we don't often do that. Temperate, Prudent, uh, prudent is such an important word. It means circumspective. It means someone who has eternal perspective, someone who uh, thinks through the ramifications of decisions very well. So often we uh, are not prudent. Respectable, hospitable. You know, there's, uh, there's, there's having an op- a house where, you're, where you welcome people, and there's really getting good at hospitality. We used to actually do teachings when we first uh, started doing community in the 70s on taking hospitality to a different level. It's one thing to have people over for dinner. It's another thing to really do it, do it well. Able to teach... I was kind of, I went back and threw the Greek word in there early this morning, about, I don't know, 5 or 6 a.m., because uh, I was actually thinking about John Gray. Uh, I guess I was just slightly ahead of my time. Do you know, John Gray's teaching this morning was one of the best teachings that's ever been heard in this church. It was very, very good. And, you know, I thought, what a gift uh, 
I, I met John Gray when, when he first started coming to the church I, almost 10 years ago now. And he was not a very mature guy. And he certainly wasn't thoroughly studied in the scriptures. And you know, when he, uh, this is the second time I've heard him teach things about David's life and journey and so forth. And wow, I mean, he just makes it come alive and, and real in a, in a very fabulous way. It was, it was one of the best messages that, that anyone has ever spoken at this church. It was very good. So, uh, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, pugnacious, and I love, I love biblical words. Like, I never heard of the word pugnacious until I became a Christian. Pugnacious means kind of uh, argumentative, easy to get in a fight. You think of, sometimes you think of uh, big guys like Robbie Johnson. Like, it'd be hard to get Robbie in a fight. Because, like, a lot of big guys who lift weights and stuff, like, they sort of secure in who they are. They don't have anything to prove. But sometimes little guys, you can get them in a fight real easy. Yeah? <laughs> you know, <laughs> what do you mean? You know, <laughs> um, pugnacious guys, um, gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household well, will he take, how will he take care of the church of God? Do you know the first thing we always look at when we're considering people for leadership and ministry is the spiritual health of their spouse? Because that's the first indication of your pastoral skills. Then we look at the spiritual and, and other you know, vocational and social health of your kids. Not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. You know, uh, it's best to uh, have people, you know, in leadership that have been Christians um, many, many years. Now, in emergency situations, we've had to, uh, you know, for instance, Jason Hale, we had him doing teachings on how to do better in school and things while he was becoming a Christian. <laughs> and, uh, because, you know, we didn't have anybody else at the time. Um, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the diabolos. Titus, for this reason I left you in Crete. So what happens, what Titus, by the way, is all about is Titus is just three chapters, very short epistles. And Titus is a member of Paul's apostolic team. So what, uh, you know, what we're actually doing in Grace Christian Fellowship is we are building an apostolic team. So there's a reason we have not just three elders, but we have a leadership team, is there's a bunch of guys that we hope will be elders, but church planners, teachers, you know, disciplers, and so forth. Because uh, the vision God uh, gives any local church should be Acts 1-8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Dayton, Judea, areas near Dayton, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, like Cincinnati, Columbus, etc., and to the uttermost parts of the earth, like Hyderabad and Bangalore. So David Yamarte is here today from Bangalore. How are you doing, David? It's always fantastic to see David and his uh, brother Emmanuel. So, um, and uh, I'll be visiting you in about a month, I guess. So, uh, less than a month, actually, three, three or four weeks. So, um, where were we? I lost my place. Um, so what? Oh yeah. So what Paul's doing with Titus is simply this. You know, Paul, if you, uh, if you study all the New Testament and just make, like, take a separate list and jot down everyone associated with Paul, you'll come up with about 33 names. There are a few names, like Apollos, where it's not clear that Apollos considered himself under Paul pastorally. In fact, it's probably the case that they were allies, and that they were both on different apostolic teams. But guys like Timothy and Titus and Silvanus uh, were guys who, who traveled with Paul's apostolic team. And uh, Paul had gone through the Isle of Crete, and Titus was with him, among others. And they had... Uh, uh, preached the gospel in the marketplaces of several cities in Crete, and they had built churches there, but the churches hadn't developed far enough to appoint leadership in them yet. So Paul, the, the whole purpose of Titus is Titus, like Timothy, are guys that Paul considers his sons. I mean, he he has they he you know he calls them technon uh, child son. And uh, he's, he's uh, really become their father more than their natural father. And I've had guys like that in my life. Um, in fact, this week, uh, Ned Berube and, and uh, Ray Nethery and I took a little step of basically saying, uh, since we're kind of got thrown into a different situation in the last few months, I've gone back to those two officially being my pastoral uh, coverings, and we, they have been anyway, but we've just made it more official <laughs> this week. And they, because um, both of them have kind of encouraged us as we're looking at different networks of churches and stuff like that to be thorough in it and not, not be in too big a hurry. So uh, they have been very, very gracious to give us pastoral care and so forth. And you talked to Ned yesterday, right? And you talked to Ned yesterday. So, um, so, you know, Titus is, again, uh, representing Paul as his son, as his teammate, uh, as a presbyteros himself in Paul's uh, team. And he says, the reason I left you in Crete is to... Set in order what remains and appoint presbyteros in every city as I directed you. Namely, 
If any man's above reproach, the husband of one wife. Uh, had, you know, that was actually an issue that we dealt with back in the 70s when some certain guys that uh, in Bowling Green planted churches in Nigeria and so forth, what do we do in a village when we lead someone to Christ and the chief has several wives? And they're used to a culture where the chief of the village is, is the leader, and so it's not an easy thing to have him not be the head elder in the church. So... Um, it's actually an issue that we'll get into as we invade other cultures. Uh, it's an issue because of the divorce issue in our culture as well. So um, anyway, uh, where were we? The overseer must be above reproach, God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious again, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable again, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both exhort and sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Now that's interesting because Paul develops that, the last two sentences there are much more thorough statement than what he gives Timothy about able to teach. Why is that? I think it's because uh, Titus is dealing with much younger churches that guys who... Uh, to get guys to a point where they were uh, able to, uh, to take the doctrine that's, that's catechized, that's handed down, uh, and, to, and to defend it, and to hold it soundly, uh, and to be able to refute those who have different ideas, uh, is asking a lot of a fairly young Christian. 1 Timothy 5, the elders, presbyteros again, who rule well. I, I love that word rule because we would never use that in our culture. <laughs> right? You know, Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you. Have we ever thought about like a pastor or someone we would actually obey? I remember getting in trouble in uh, a wedding I did that wasn't... Uh, there was normally my rule is I don't do weddings if I don't actually feel like I can endorse the, the, uh, the couple in terms of their spiritual maturity and God calling them to be together and so forth. And, and uh, uh, this was a, a, a situation with a relative. So I was doing the wedding uh, and had, had done, taken them through premarital counseling to a certain degree and they were Christians and a, evangelical kind of sense, um, but not very serious about their faith, nor had they grown much, and nor had they studied much. And so when we're doing the wedding rehearsal, the part called the transfer of authority, the, uh, the bride said, what is this? And I said, I said, this is like her father had died, so uh, her brother was walking her down the aisle and doing the transfer of authority, so I explained that to her, and she she goes, oh, okay, that'd be all right. She goes, I, I just hate that word authority. I just hate authority. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, what a wonderful thing for a Christian to be saying. Because <laughs> the whole point of Christianity is, is what Paul calls the obedience of faith in Romans 1 and Romans 15. Um, 
you know, that the, the wedding vows used to say they, they love, honor, and obey. <laughs> um, not anymore. The modern people don't like that word. So anyway, the elders who will well are be worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, like John Gray. For the scripture says, you should not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. If that was just obeyed, we'd have a lot of easier life in the church. <laughs> you know, so many people have accusations against elders, but they don't go to the... First of all, you should go to the elder who you're, you have the accusation against. Secondly, you should guard your heart that you don't have accusations in your heart against them in the first place, unless there's something that really needs to be addressed. And secondly, you should address the person who you have the accusation with, not somebody else. And then uh, thirdly, if you talk once, twice, three times and don't make much progress, then bring in the other elders to discuss it and so forth. All right, so let's get to this note. Uh, this is kind of important, and that's why I did all that. All New Testament elders, we, we ended with this last week, all New Testament elders... Trying to see that clock. What does it say? Does anybody can somebody tell me ten something? Eleven fifty one. Okay. So um, hopefully we could get those uh, hands painted white. I hate to look at the digital clock. Although I use the digital clock when I'm walking. I actually walk laps in the church for exercise. And uh, it takes just about one minute to walk from the front of the sanctuary, down the steps, through the back hallway, up through here. And then each lap takes about one minute, uh, in case you care. Um, so, and I do use the digital clock when I'm doing my laps. Uh, so all New Testament elders, both Presbyteros and Episcopos, are shepherds, poimeno, uh, to, that's the verb form, to shepherd, and teachers, didaskalos. But not all shepherds are elders. You know, like all four-sided, uh, you know, all squares are four-sided figures, but not all four-sided figures are squares. <laughs> so this is kind of important. And the simple reason is this. God has delegated it to the elders, and especially the senior elder, to give pastoral care to the, to the people of the church. And one of the unique features of Grace Christian Fellowship is we're trying to get back to the biblical idea that, you, that there should be personal pastoral care. Um, one of the things that I uh, regularly ask, when I, when I get together with somebody, uh, usually in my first, second, or third meeting with them, I'll ask them, how often has a biblically qualified person who has been recognized in leadership by some other leaders and who is studied, knows the scriptures, or so forth, actually spent time with you one-on-one -on -one like this, whether it's out to lunch, going for a walk. I uh, think some of Jonathan Maddox and Bethany Webb and other people walk laps with me at the church. So uh, uh, I appreciate that. So, kill two birds with one stone, as the old saying is. And... Uh, 
almost always people answer, no one has ever done that. Did you just hear, like, I can almost not say that without crying. I hear that almost 100% of the time, that's the answer I get. Let that sink in for a second. Jesus said very clearly in John 13, when he was washing the disciples' feet, that you call me Lord and teacher because I am, or so I am, depending on the translation. And you are right. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, so you also ought to wash the feet of one another. And he says, I do this to give you an example. And the Greek word for that is the word for pattern, model, or example. I'm doing this that for all eternity, all Christians in all churches would know that the model is for the pastor to actually know you that well. Whether he's actually ever washed your feet, I would say it's more of a metaphor, but uh, although, you know, Christians do have foot washing ceremonies, and I've been in a few. And, um, but, you know, you got to know, you got to know that their feet stink to wash their feet. <laughs> you know, you got to untie some shoes. You, you got to have a relationship. And it's amazing to me how many Christians have never gone out to lunch with their pastor. It's amazing to me how many Christians let their pastor buy. <laughs> should never let the pastor buy, by the way. Um, but although I always, buy, especially buy for the college students, I always tell them, you, you can buy once you get out and get those good engineering jobs and so forth. Um, you know, uh, it's, it, this, this is outrageous beyond, beyond anything imaginable. We live in a time that's so impersonal. We measure, we measure uh, success by how many people go through the turnstile. I wonder sometimes why we don't install turnstiles at churches. You know, I love, whenever I go to a pastor's luncheon and so forth, they always ask the question, how many people is your church running? Which means how many are attending? And I always say, around 12, maybe 15, <laughs> on a good Sunday. <laughs> but sometimes only eight. Because I know they're measuring my importance by that, the answer and what the number is. So much so that when, when some pastor tells me how many uh, people are they're running, I always just take whatever number they throw out, like 200 or whatever, and I divide by two and add five. <laughs> and then I know that's how many people are really coming to their church, about half as many as they're claiming. Because they th think like that's a measure of success. I want to know how many divorces there are. I want to know how many people have credit card debt. 
I want to know how many people have emotional problems, how many people are not very good at relationships. I want to know how many people really know how to study their Bible. I want to know how many people are baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is a, one of the five beginning steps of starting the Christian life. And we're living in a time where like 95% of American Christians are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Do you think it's that high? I think it might be. And that's one of the ABCs that you're supposed to get the first week you're a Christian. There's so much uh, rubble and confusion about just who is the Holy Spirit and how you get started with getting baptized in the Holy Spirit that sometimes it takes six months of Bible studies just to get somebody ready for it. Because there's so many uh, wrong ideas to clear off. And our, and our Christianity is so natural-minded and so devoid of the Holy Spirit. So, anyway, all New Testament elders are shepherds, and a shepherd is someone who knows the sheep by name. And that's why not all shepherds are elders, because there's no way that three people can pastor a hundred people. So all shepherds should be discipling other shepherds. So that's a good introduction to uh, something that's going to be happening in the next couple weeks. We keep having to deal with various crises, so we have had trouble getting this done. But you know, uh, we have a leadership team in the church that has uh, seven couples, if I, and uh, a couple single guys. And so uh, one of the things we're going to be doing is we're going to be starting four home groups in the church. And I almost don't want to call them home groups because I don't care if they meet at the home. <laughs> if, the, if it's too big to meet in your home, you can use the fellowship hall if you want. Uh, or the sanctuary, or combinations thereof, or one of the nice rooms in the basement, but small groups. And the idea of the small group is that that uh, the, the couples that are leading the small group will be your personal pastoral care. So uh, we're going to start with four small groups, of which I'm going to have one with Catherine for the, uh, the leadership team. And uh, outside the leadership team, we have four or five people that, that we're asking to be a part of our home group um, just because of special relationships with them or whatever. So, um, but then uh, one of the home, and each home group is going to be led by two couples. And part of that purpose is so that when the home group gets too big for, for, uh, the two couples, or for the for for one couple, I should say, uh, or one home, we can just split into two, split that into two home groups, and we'll just put split the two couples into two leading two different home groups. But the one uh, the one home group is going to be led by John and Leah Gray and Nathan and Tiffany Hager, 
And we kind of picked that out so that, because uh, they live a few doors from each other, and probably most of the people who have little kids will be in that home group. So if you don't have little kids, that's okay. Uh, please don't have little kids till you at least get married. <laughs> we recommend against that. We're so practical. Um, so, um, and then another one is going to be led by Daniel and Christiana with Sam and Amber, right? And then the third one will be led by Anvesh and Deanna with Josiah and Teresa. So, anyway, uh, we'll be, you'll be hearing from uh, those, those people as to... Uh, an invite to be in, in their home group in the next uh, few weeks. And, uh, you know, we uh, hope to provide more pastoral care. But if you notice, only uh, of those six couples, only two of them are elders. So not all elders are all elders are shepherds, but not all shepherds are elders. So you should always have um, a lot of shepherds in training. You know, there's actually, uh, in each of those cases, there's one couple that's a little bit more mature than the other couple. And, uh, and, then, and, so, and then, obviously, you'll want to uh, discuss with the, the couples leading the home groups one of the couples you'd, you'd want to be more looking to for pastoral care and so forth than the other. All right, so let's just finish by trying to quickly get into deacons and deaconesses. Uh, the only thing I want to uh, point out is that in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, the qualifications for diaconos, uh, deacons, are very similar to the qualifications for elders. And Paul um, talks about how those who serve well as deacons attain to a, a, a great status in the faith. Uh, most shepherds should come from people who were deacons. Most, most elders. Now, there's a controversy in, the, in some Christian circles as to whether there's an office called deaconess. And because uh, the female form, like in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 11, where it says woman, women must likewise be dignified, there's a debate, are they talking about the deacon's wife or women who sit, serve in that kind of way? And uh, I don't know how to pronounce Greek words because the, the upsilon character is something like, so it's like gyni. We get the word gyne or gynecology from that word. Uh, it can mean a woman of any age, whether a virgin or married or a widow, a wife of a betrothed woman. It's unclear whether this is a reference to deacon wives, wives as in the King James and the ESV, or to deaconesses. Uh, so uh, in Romans 16, when Paul uh, is addressing the Romans, he's at the end of the letter, he is giving various greetings. And he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, old Phoebe. Uh, I never liked her because she had a cat. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, 
who was a servant, deaconess, of the church which is at Sancria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever manner she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper, or the word is patron, of many and of myself. I think she was on Paul's team. Uh, now, there's a whole debate called complementarianism versus egalitarianism. In, the, in, the, in a nutshell, the debate is this. The complement, both, both perspectives see men and women as created in equal importance and value before God. But in the egalitarian perspective, men and women can do all the same roles and functions in the family and in the church. Whereas in the complementarian perspective, uh, God has assigned different roles to men and to women, but that does not in any way imply that they are of a different value or importance. So uh, we have historically been more complementarian. Uh, however, uh, I think that many Christians in the name of complementarianism don't allow women to uh, do important enough things in the church, to be honest. And so that's why we have women worship leaders and women scripture readers and, and women who disciple people and and all sorts of things in this church. However, obviously, we don't have women who disciple men. We don't have men who disciple women, generally. Um, so the, the question arises, is there an office called a deaconess? And in some traditions of the faith, both the Roman Catholic tradition, uh, the Anglican tradition, the Lutheran tradition, and the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they have deaconesses. Um, now, personally, um, I think that one, one of the problems we're having in contemporary Christianity is we have lots of women pastors and, so, and this kind of thing throughout the church. And I think part of the reason we have all this confusion is because we don't have deaconesses. I think deaconesses is actually a very important uh, position uh, we haven't appointed ladies as deaconesses in Grace Christian Fellowship simply because most of the ladies who uh, have been called to that position have uh, usually been courting or married, and, uh, and their husbands are, are, are elder candidates anyway. And so, you know, for instance, if there's really uh, a deaconess in our church, it's probably Leah Gray. And uh, Leah Gray, because uh, the word deacon means a table waiter or a servant. And historically, deacons and deaconesses have done a lot of the administrative functions in the church. And nobody administrates more things than, say, uh, Leah Gray or Christiana Verks or Christiana Williams, I should say, Mrs. Williams. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had Mrs. Williams playing piano today. So... Um, but the, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, Daniel Williams is probably uh, within one, two, three years, probably most likely going to be the fourth elder in the church at some point anyway. So do, is there really a necessity to, to make it an official position? Because we sort of, uh, we don't ordain guys in leadership if we don't think highly of their marriage and, of, and, and really we're kind of endorsing both the husband and the wife when we endorse elders. Uh, 
so for that's really all I need to say about deaconesses, except just that I think it's kind of an important thing. You know, uh, for those of you who are Dominion Academy people, you know that Michelle Caldwell is a deaconess in her church, and I, I actually call her Deaconess Caldwell half the time when I when I talk to her. And um, so um, I think that it's uh, actually kind of an important issue. But again, like the whole idea of priest, there is a whole tradition in the church that calls their leaders priest. And most people that are, are kind of negative on that because uh, they say it detracts from the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. I think... Uh, I'm not willing to quibble about that. You know, like in, uh, for instance, our, a lot of us, we have a lot of people who have various roles in Dominion Academy and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, they call uh, Wayne Father McNamara. And, of course, I met Wayne when we were both 18. And, uh, and Wayne had longer hair than Jennifer Pett at that time. <laughs> and, uh, and had just been a Christian a few months. And... Uh, you know, so he, uh, he was Brother Wayne, and, uh, you know, I, I uh, remember all the quirks and so forth that you have when you're in college and, and having dinner together and meal coupons and so forth. But actually, when I see Wayne, I call him Father Wayne, and I, I do so because why not respect how they think in their tradition? There's no reason to, to quibble with Christians over that we do things differently. It's just not worth it. So uh, generally when I, you know, see Wayne McNamara, I call him Father Wayne because that's how they do in their tradition. Uh, and the only people who have ever called me Father Greg are my kids. But uh, <laughs> so uh, anyway, so that's enough for, for that. Uh, I, let's see, someone's taking John Gray's place because he went home to take care of his sick kids. So that would be on Vesh, right? So anyway... Um, that um, let's make sure I hit each. There was one point that, uh, yeah. So I hit everything except I had hoped to get into those discussion questions at the end. You know, these teachings were originally done when we had two and a half hour uh, format at Wright State. So, um, so we didn't get into the questions, but the discussion questions at the end are something you may want to talk with me about and uh, if, if, if you don't really know all the answers to those already, which you probably do. So let's uh, have on best.